You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Hope Ottawa, I love you so much. What a joy it is to be worshiping with you all again. Let's open up our Bibles, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. This is the next section of the text in our verse-by-verse, line-by-line study through the book of Acts entitled, To the Ends of the Earth. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, go ahead, shoot your hand up, and uh, one of our ushers is going to come by right now and put a copy of God's Word in your lap. Get your hands up high. We want to make sure everybody's got a Bible, all right? Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Okay, question for you as we start out tonight, Hope. It is this. Uh, Who here finds it easy to wait for things? Do you just find it really easy? Just put your hand, just easy. I just got no problem waiting for things. I don't get irritated. I don't get impatient. I just, I'm good with waiting for all the things. Right? How about this? How about this? Uh, when you're waiting in traffic, you know, I looked up some stats this week, and according to a 2017, now this was in the U.S., but I highly doubt it's very different in Canada. According to a 2017 uh, stats from Timex, uh, it says that you wait 38 hours per year on average in traffic. 38 hours waiting. How many of you love waiting in traffic? Just love it, huh? Yeah, I just I wish I could be stuck there all day, man. That's great. All right, so how about traffic? Or this, here's another one. Uh, did you know, uh, on average per year, uh, you wait on hold with customer service for 13 hours? Don't you just love waiting on customer service? Please hold, and then you get that elevator music going on the, on the other end, and, and then it sometimes goes up in volume. I don't know how they do that, but then you're like, ah! You know, you got to pull it away from your ear, Right? See, here's the thing. Uh, if we had summed that up, according to the survey, uh, humans, on average, spend approximately six months of their life waiting for things. Six months of your life, on average, waiting for things. Okay, let's break the question down a little bit more specific. Do you like waiting when it comes to waiting on the Lord? You find it easy? Loved ones, do you find it easy to wait on the Lord? Do you struggle to wait on the Lord that he will keep his word and fulfill his promises and his timing that is best and that he will give you all that you need as you go through that situation in the struggle, in the trial, in the unknown? Like what's going to happen next? In trying, here's a big one, trying to discern his will. I mean, the number one question I get in counseling is this. God, what is God's will for me? Ever been in a situation where you ask that? God, what's your will? What's your will for the next steps? What's your will for this decision? What's your will for this? I I, I want to encourage us with this right now. Look at Lamentations Chapter 3, verse 25. I want to to encourage you with some of the things God promises to those who wait for him. It's next slide, loved ones. Lamentations 3, verse 25. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Next one. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you. I love this. Who acts for those who wait for him. Here's another one. Psalm 27, 14. The command, wait on the Lord. Wait on Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-D. Wait on Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. So we see the command of Scripture. We see the faithfulness of God through his word as we wait upon him. But there's a problem that that highlights, isn't it? A problem that you and I face is that we find it extremely difficult to wait on the Lord faithfully, don't we? And quite often, let's be honest, we rarely do. Why? Well, you look at those verses right there. Look at those beautiful truths. 
we don't believe him. That's what it comes down to, unbelief. If I could sum it up, <clears throat> why we have trouble, it'd say this. We don't like waiting on God because we lack trust in God. We don't like waiting on God. The struggle is there. The tension is real. The desire to grasp control and barge ahead is real because we don't like waiting on him and we lack trust in him. And flowing from this outflow of unbelief, you've seen it in your life, I've seen it in mine, is this. It's flowing from the unbelief that he is loving. He's not only sovereign, but he's loving and good. He's faithful, wise. We don't believe his timing is perfect. We don't believe his word will prove true. Here's a big one. We don't believe that God will only act for his greatest glory and our greatest good. We don't believe him. See, here's the big idea from the text today. So timely. Let's dive in. You'll see it on the screen. Because God is always faithful, you must trust him in your waiting. You'll see that on the screen in a moment. Because God is always faithful, you must trust him in your waiting. Go back one slide, team. Go back. Keep going. You still see it? All right, write it down. Forget it. Because God is all... We'll just, we'll just wait on the Lord and we'll just keep going. Come on. <laughs> because God is always faithful, you must trust him in your waiting. Hear the word of the Lord. Because God is always faithful, you must trust him in your waiting. So the question that that begs is this. We see those truths on the screen and we're like, well, how do we wait faithfully on the Lord? What, is the, what does this look like? Well, let's get our context for our text today and we'll find out. The disciples have been on the Mount of Olives. You'll see a picture of it there. There's the Mount of Olives they've just come from, right? Where they've been with Jesus and he has just ascended to heaven after giving them their commission, the great commission to be his witnesses. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Now recall this though, before they were told to go out on mission, in verses 4 and 5, Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem to do that four-letter word that we will shudder at, and that is to wait on him. To wait for him to do what? To send the Holy Spirit. Just a few days later, we know that that is ten days later. Why was he sending the Holy Spirit? To empower them for missions. And so now, Acts chapter 1, 12 to 26, I love this little section of text because it gives us this peek into the waiting period. The peek into the waiting. We pick things up in this 10-day waiting period between Jesus' ascension and when he's going to give the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And so they head back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and waiting for Jesus to fulfill his word, his promise, and Luke describes in detail what they're doing. What they're doing during this time, and he gives us the blueprint. I love this. The blueprint, no matter the situation, for how we're to wait faithfully upon the Lord in our waiting periods. To live faithfully as witnesses in those periods and see him fulfill his word and advance his kingdom for his glory. You guys ready to read? Hey kids, grab your Bibles. Let's stand up. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 12, going to 26. Acts chapter 1, verse 12, going to 26. Let's go. Matthias chosen to replace Judas. Nice and loud. Let's read. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. 
together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Oh, yuck. This is yuck. 19. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Eustace and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. It is just so beautiful to hear this church reading scripture together. Praise the Lord. Well, the first thing we see out of the first section of the text is this. When you trust the Lord in your waiting, you will seek his face. This will be your priority. When you are trusting the Lord in your waiting, you will seek his face as your priority. See, in your waiting, here it is, Hope Ottawa, right here. You're in that waiting period. You're trying to discern. There's unknown all around. You're in the trial. You're in the struggle. Hear this right here. In your waiting, stay devoted to what matters most. Don't be distracted. Stay devoted to what and who matters most. And here's the question we need to answer in that time. Will you seek God's face? Will you seek God's face? Go back to verses 12 to 14. Let's read. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. Try saying that ten times fast. Verse 14. All these with one accord, watch this, were devoting, circle the word devoting, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. See, in obedience to Jesus' command, the disciples head back to Jerusalem to wait for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit. Now notice it says, a Sabbath day journey. What's going on there? A Sabbath day journey was half a mile. It was 2,000 Paces, so like 2,000 steps. This was the distance that according to the rabbinical oral traditions that were passed down and compiled in a book called the Talmud, this was the distance it was lawful to travel on the Sabbath without it being considered work. You could go 2,000 steps. And you're like, What? What's that all about? Now, the Talmud, let's make this clear, is not God's word. It is not God's law. But as I said, it's from rabbinical tradition. And these traditions were passed down orally. And they were formed to keep people from breaking God's law. To even getting close to doing it. Right? And so, if God said no work on the Sabbath, they're like, well, we better make sure we put a restriction on what work is and how to not get close to that. Now, the danger was they became equated with God's law. Enter legalism. 
Now look at verses 13 and 14, what happens. When the disciples get to Jerusalem, they enter the upper room where they're staying. Now we don't know if this is the same upper room where they had the last meal. We don't know that. It's not clear. But what we do know here is that, look at verse 15, there's 120 of them gathered. Including, you see there in verse verse 13, the 11 apostles and many women who followed Jesus, including his mother, Mary, and even his half-brothers. They had been believers for about eight months at this point. They didn't even believe in him. If you go back to the book of John, they didn't even believe in him eight months ago. And now here they are. Praise the Lord for his work. And now look at verse 14. What are they doing in the waiting? What are they devoting themselves to? It's like, we got to get our next strategy, and we got to come out with our planning sessions and get the leadership team intact, and then, and then just go out and start on our own strength and do all these things. What are they doing? They're devoting themselves to, say it, prayer. Awesome. Circle prayer. They're devoting themselves to prayer. It is their declaration of dependence on the Lord. They're seeking the face of the Lord. The word devoted there, just to make sure there's no misconceptions about this, the Greek there means to persevere and steadfastly endure with intense and fervent effort, even when they're tempted with distractions or experiencing difficulties. They kept the main thing the main thing. Even when they're tempted. Would you be tempted? Would you be tempted? You're in this 10-day waiting period. Right? Live in the text. Would you be tempted to stray from staying devoted to what matters most, seeking the face and the presence of God, drawing near to Him? You tempted to waver? Like, put yourself, get in that upper room for a second. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You're one of the 120. Do you think you'd be tempted with distractions to stray and you'd be getting anxious? Jesus is gone now. I mean, he's just said, go, go to all the world. And it's like, uh, and then he's like, peace out. Would you be a little tempted to be anxious? And, and thinking like, what now? And what do we do? And oh, if I just, if I had the game plan and could, and could plan ahead and what's going to happen here? And here comes the battle of the assumption, right? Here comes the battle of the assumption. Well, what if this happens and this and this and this and this and this? Are you tempted to do that? How about this? Maybe with apathy, the other end. You're like, you know what? Jesus is gone. We'll just kick it back. We'll just take it easy. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. We just won't do anything. We'll just, I guess, wait. And we lose the fervency. How about this? Would you be tempted with doubt? Will Jesus fulfill his word? Or is it up to me to do something? Can I trust that he's good? Can I trust that he will work out of love for me and for his greatest glory? Can I trust he's going to come through? How about this? Would you be tempted with fear? What if opposition comes? I mean, it wasn't that long ago we're being hunted with Jesus. That's why we locked the room. What if opposition comes? What are we going to do then? Or how about this one? This is a big one in my own life. Just like, the desire for control. Well, I can't just sit around. I, I, I hate the limbo. I hate being in limbo. I got to do something. Hurry up, Lord. I, I need to take charge. I'm going to make that decision. I'm just going to go. Man, we love to do that, don't we? Hear this. Hear this right now. I don't know all of your situations right now, loved ones. But hear this. God's command for you and your waiting is this. Ready? You'll see it on the screen. David the psalmist says, you've said, seek my face. That's the command of the Lord, seek my face. Not like, seek my face until you get out of the waiting period, or don't seek my face until you get out of the waiting period, then you can go back to seek. No, seek my face. That's the priority. And, and I pray that every heart in this room, every person listening online, would respond right here as David says, my heart, my whole being right there, says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek right now? Right in the middle of the grief. Right in the middle of the unknown. Right in the middle of the waiting. Right in the middle of the, of the confusion. He says, seek my face. Don't seek the next steps. You just seek my face. See, God calls us to be devoted to seeking. Get this, get this. Right up here, eyes up. 
God calls us to be devoted to seeking his presence over his provisions. I'll say it again. God calls us to be devoted to seeking his heart over his hand. Is that your priority in the waiting? Instead of, well, what's the next provision? What's the next step? What's the next this? How about, let's get to the Lord. Right here. See it right in the text. Let's get to the Lord. In amidst all of that other stuff going on. Why? Disciples knew what we need to know right here. From God's presence flows God's intimacy. Presence of God leads to intimacy with God. God's power from God's presence flows God's perspective on the situation. How much time do we spend losing perspective because we're just not setting our mind on the one above? From God's presence flows God's perspective. His grace, his joy, his hope, his peace, his strength. See, here's the key. In waiting, God wants to give us something much greater than any provision we're hoping for. What does God want to give us in that waiting? He wants to give us himself. Loved ones, you'll see it on the screen. Don't waste your waiting. Don't waste your waiting. That provision you think you need or that clarity you think you need on that is too small a thing. God will take care of that in his time. Don't waste your waiting. There's something greater that he desires for us in that time. And if you're saved in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin, confessed him as your Lord and Savior. If you believe that he was the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, fully God, fully man, came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, you have been given direct access to the throne of grace, the very presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, that's your first step. To say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell apart from you, Jesus. There is no hope for me. Your first step is to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you're the Savior. I repent and I confess you as Lord. And you will be given access to the throne of grace and eternal life and forgiveness of sin. Praise the Lord. See, remember, Loved ones, in your waiting, stay devoted to what matters most. Will you seek God's face? In your health situation right now, just put yourself right there. What is it for you? In your health situation, um, in your pain, maybe in pain in relationships, maybe emotional pain, maybe physical pain, in the unknown, in the confusion, like what's going on, Lord, I don't understand. And maybe you're trying to discern God's will for you in the next step in a situation. Or maybe you're waiting for him to fulfill his word, his promises. Hey, question. What has been your priority while you wait? And you say, well, how do I know? Just look at your prayers during that time. Who's the focus? Look at your attitudes. Look at your actions. Hey, loved ones, repent, repent, return to who matters most and rest in the truth that he will act for his greatest glory and your greatest good. Rest. See, when you trust the Lord in your waiting, you will seek his face as your number one priority. Always. And with this, last point today is this, with this, you must trust his sovereignty. You're going to seek his face. You better be trusting his sovereignty by his power at work in us. See, God is sovereign, good, loving, and here's great news. Can't be stopped. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Now, just so we're on the same page, let's make sure we understand sovereignty is kind of a big uh, seminary word. So let's break that down. You'll see it on the screen. Sovereignty, according to systematic theologian Wayne Grudem, he unpacked it. I, I really appreciate this. It says, God's exercise of power over his creation. God's exercise of power over his creation. What that means is, God having supreme power over all things and working them out for his glory and the good for those who love him. If I could sum that up, I'd say this. God's sovereignty means God's in control. 
Maybe some of you are like, I'm ready to go home now. That's all I needed to hear. (laughs) God is in control. I'll say it again. Loved ones, eyes up. Over here. God is in control. Center section. God is in control. You guys, eyes up, hear it. God is in control. Rest. He's in control. See in verses 15 to 21, this beautiful text, we see that also during this 10-day waiting period, something else is happening. There's an issue that needs to be resolved in that upper room. There's an elephant in the room. Did you catch it from the text what it is? There's an elephant in the room, and the disciples need to discern the will of God for it. And what is it? Just look at the text. It is the replacing of Judas. The apostle who was chosen and then denied Jesus turned him over to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver and led them to Jesus who arrested him in the garden and ultimately crucified him. So they need to replace Judas by choosing another to take his place as one of the 12 apostles. See, The disciples needed to discern the will of God for the next steps he would have them take. Does anyone here, are you seeking the Lord for next steps he would have you take? You discerning that? Here's good news right here. So are they. And this is a huge decision. The 12th apostle? This is a huge decision. I mean, how are they supposed to discern God's will for it? They needed to trust in God's sovereignty. And we see four ways as they put their faith in God's sovereignty, his unchanging character, his unchanging nature. We see four ways that God directs them to discern his will by his sovereignty and faith in him. Discerning his will in the waiting. You ready to go? Let's go. Trust God's sovereignty. First thing we see, verses 15 to 20, go to his word. And discern God's will in the waiting. It starts right here. Go to his word. You're seeking his face. Go to his word. Look at 15 to 20. Go back to the text. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. That is the religious leaders. He led them to Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share by Jesus. The word allotted there means divine allotment in the Greek. He was allotted his share in this ministry. Now here's Luke's insert on verse 18. Now this man acquired a field... That is, uh, they say Judas acquired the field. But if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, you're like, wait a second, the religious leaders bought the field. Yes, but remember, Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he threw the money back at the religious leaders, the 30 pieces of silver they paid him to betray Jesus, because he was so overcome with guilt, and then he went and hung himself... And the religious leader's like, well, we can't put it in the temple because it's blood money, so we need to buy a field. So he's accrediting, Luke is accrediting, the same as Judas buying the field because it was with the money that was given to him. He acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, this is sick, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels, that is his intestines, hey kids, like science lesson, huh? Just the intestines just spilled all out, all over the rocks. Hopefully you don't have nightmares tonight. Like, honestly, it's like, so, so Judas hung himself, and what most likely happened is it was on a branch of a tree that's overlooking a cliff. And then the branch snapped, and he falls headlong and all over the place. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem what happened. So that field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. Do you know what that means? The potter's field. The potter's field. Because even today, there's a lot of clay there. 
They call it the potter's field, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. See, Peter, he now takes like this big moment, this big step of Peter to show he's the leader of the disciples. See what he does? At this crucial moment in the waiting, what does he do? He takes charge. He takes charge. He takes his role that Jesus had appointed to him. See, the disciples are still reeling from what happened to Judas. Would you be tempted to do that? Well, wait a sec. Jesus chose him. Did he not know that Judas was going to betray? Did he not know that? I, I mean, really, did it go against? Is Jesus really sovereign? I mean, didn't this go against his plan? And they're reeling from the shock of what happened to Judas. How could that happen? Is Jesus really in control? Does he have all authority? Now notice the response of Peter. Praise the Lord for the work of the Lord in him. Peter takes them back to the word of God. He doesn't entertain emotions and feelings. He doesn't entertain personal agendas at that moment and what ifs and assumptions. He takes them back to the word of God. To reassure them, to remind them, and to realign their perspective. Oh, how often do we need a realigned perspective in the waiting, huh? Oh, he realigns it through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, to the truth of God's word. And notice what he does. He says, brothers, listen, Judas's betrayal was part of God's plan. It was part of God's plan. It's not like God didn't see it coming. It was part of his plan. And, and Judas's betrayal, notice what he does. He says, brothers, it was prophesied about over a thousand years ago. It is a thousand years earlier, approximately, that David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these two psalms. These two things, the psalms here, first one is from Psalm 69. The second one is from Psalm 109. Approximately a thousand years earlier. As he was moved by the Holy Spirit. See, God knew it was coming. Loved one, eyes up here again. Ready? God knew it was coming. God knew it was coming. God knew it was coming. Now let's get some clarity. Both of these psalms were written about an innocent and faithful person suffering and his enemies who hated him. Does that sound like a savior you know? And they insulted him and attacked him without cause. Now here's the key. We need to see from this section. Peter grounds them in the word of God. Why? Because the word of God, pay attention, pay attention. The word of God is the will of God. The word of God is the will of God. And he reminds them that the word of God is their final authority. Their emotions are not. The perspective of how you think you see the whole situation is not. The word of God is their final authority. That all of it is inspired by God who is sovereign over all and will always fulfill it. Here's what Peter says right here. Remember, brothers, remember, everyone, 120 of you, remember this. God has ordained that another will take Judas's place. God has ordained it. You see it right in the word. It won't change. It will endure forever. It's part of his plan. God's got a purpose here, brothers. Hope Ottawa, God's got a purpose in your waiting. He's working it out. Say that, he's working it out. He's working it out. Trust the word. Trust his word. Hey, question, where are you going to in your waiting? Where are you going to in your waiting? You going to the next newscast? You going to people over God's word? Where are you going to in your waiting? You going to the ways of the world? Well, this is the wisdom of the world. I think I should do this. The world tells me to do this and this and this. Where are you going? Where's your go-to? Where's your go-to? I mean, what has the final authority over your thoughts and actions right now? What's got the final authority? 
Peter's taking them back to the authority. Are you realigning your perspective, loved ones, in the truth of the word, setting your mind on the things above or setting your mind on your own agenda? I want it this way. This is when I want it. This is how I want it. This is how I should have it. Are we setting our mind on the word of God, renewing our perspective in the things above and not the things of men? Because here's what happens if we don't. Ready? It's inevitable. You will drift. You will drift in that time. We don't do well with vulnerability, do we? We're going to drift with anxiety and fear and trying to grasp for control and blaming and assuming the worst. But I want to encourage you, as I was encouraged that this week, no matter how many situations may change, the sovereign God is unchanging. Amen? The sovereign God is unchanging. And you know what that means? Hold up your Bibles for a second. Right here. Hold up your Bibles. Let's go. The sovereign God is unchanging, and here's what that means. Yeah, yeah. Right at the back. I see you. Awesome. Here it is. His word is unchanging. Hold them up. Kids, nice and high. His word is unchanging. Say that with me. His word is unchanging. His word will prove true. Heaven and earth will pass away but his word will remain. And we see here, it will stand forever. His promise will be fulfilled. Even though it took a thousand years, it was God's time. Cling to it, loved ones. Stand on it. It will prove true. And we see here faithful, a glimpse of faithful leadership too don't we? Peter, godly leadership, listen to me, godly leadership will always lead you to God's word. I'll say it again. Godly leadership, the type Peter displays right here. Remember, this was the guy who was running from a servant girl 40 days, 50 days ago. Approximately. He's staking the stand. Godly leadership leads you to God's word. And now, we have it in God's community. This is why Proverbs 24, 6 says, in, the, in wise counsel you will wage your war. In the abundance of counselors there is safety. What's wise counsel? Wise counsel, you'll see it on the screen. A wise counselor is a word counselor. Write it down. You'll see it on the screen. Keep going. You'll see it, guys. A wise counselor is a word counselor. One who will take you to God's word and not press their own agenda on you. Secondly, first thing we see, we're going to trust God in the waiting, trusting his sovereignty. We go to his word. Here's the next thing. We obey his word. We obey his word. Look at 21 to 23. So... One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Eustace, and Matthias. See, Peter knew that Scripture, which is God's will, said that another needed to take Judas's place. Right? You see it right there. Let another take his office. God was saying there needs to be a replacement. And so as a result, notice this, the disciples just didn't sit around for it to happen. Say, well, okay, I guess it just happened. No, they obeyed. They obeyed the process of how Jesus chose them in the first place. They took a step of obedience to God's word in choosing two possible men that met the requirements, again, we see it here, that met the requirements to be an apostle. Did you see it in the text? Verses 21 to 22. See it right there. They'd been with them since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the baptism by John, until his sacrifice. So there's the first thing. You've got to choose a guy like that. Secondly, verse 22. Did you see it? Whoever gets chosen was a witness to Christ's resurrection. They had to see the resurrected Christ. Secondly, sorry, thirdly, verse 24. 
This was someone who was specifically chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. We'll see more of that in a bit. And so we see two men get put forward. Eustace, that is Joseph, and Matthias. See, here's the key we need to see from these three beautiful verses. When in the waiting, ready, watch. When you're not sure what to do, do what you're sure of. In your waiting period, when you're not sure what to do, here it is, right here. Let another take his office. Do what you're sure of. Do what you're sure of. And what we can be sure of all the time, every time, is the truth of God's word. Do what you're sure of. It will always prove true. It stands forever, and it is always what God promises to bless. If I could sum it up, you'll see a quote on the screen. Always go back to what God promises to bless. What do I do in this moment? What do I do in this decision? Always go back to what God promises to bless. He's like, you know, I showed you how to choose the apostles. I told you, and I'm telling you. There's another that needs to take Judas's place. And Jesus always promises to bless obedience to his word. Question, are you obeying it? In your waiting, or are you running your own agenda? Are you going back to his word? What is God asking me to do today? See, here's, here's the other thing we need to see. Trusting God's sovereignty doesn't mean inaction. Notice the disciples. They've got a word from the Lord that another's got to take his place. They didn't just kick it back with their feet up. They're like, we need to obey. And what's the path, the characteristics, the qualifications Jesus had given us? And you may say here, you may say right here, you're like, okay, I see it. I want to do that. What do I do next? Okay, here. Go back to what God's already revealed you should be doing in that waiting. Here it is. Humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. Lord, let your kingdom come and my kingdom go. Here's another one. What does God promise to bless? Seek his face. Go back to prayer. Go back to prayer. Prayer for the presence of God over the provision of God. Realign your mind and heart. He's promising to bless that. And here it is. Obey him. Here it is. Be faithful right where you are at. Serving him right where you are at. Not be like, well, I'll get around to it when that happens and things go my way. Be faithful to him right where he has you. Don't put things off. Go back to what he promises to bless. Be be faithful with where and who he's already entrusted you with. In your school, in your job in your families, in your relationships, in this church. You know, one of the big things when we came to plant the church, we moved here from a church that we love dearly, Hope Mississauga. And one of the big things when we moved from this church to come and plant this one by the grace of God is I had this this tendency to want to hang on to that. Just to hang on and be there and be there instead of being here. And the Lord's like, I brought you here, Ray. These are the ones that need your care. Stop clinging to that. It's hindering my power. It's hindering my blessing. And the work that I want to do in the precious flock, and I got to tell you, that was a turning point from the Lord in my life. Love you so much. I can't think of anywhere else. By God's grace, I want to be than shepherding this church. Praise the Lord. But I had to stop clinging. I had to be faithful with where I was. And so do you. Where's he planted you? Go back to what he promises. See, see, here's the key, loved ones. Just because we may be waiting for clarity doesn't mean we stop obeying right where we're at. Life doesn't get put on hold. The purposes of God for our lives don't get put on hold just because we're in the waiting period. Keep going. Where do you need to repent of your disobedience and be faithful to God's word right where you're at? 
I'm in. I'm humbling myself where you brought me, Lord. I'm in. Thirdly, here it is. Trust God's sovereignty in the waiting. Go to his word. Obey his word. Pray for his work. Pray for his work. We don't stop praying. God wants us to come to him. Look at 24 and 25. Love this. And they prayed. There it is again. Talk about a house of prayer, huh? And they prayed. They just keep praying. And said, you, Lord, who, circle this, know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. See, as the disciples obeyed the word of God, they prayed for the work of God. They're still praying. It, see, there's this, there's this tension. When you think about God's sovereignty, you're like, well, God's just going to do whatever he's going to do. Like, loved ones. Remember the parable of the persistent widow? Spoiler alert, you may hear a sermon on it in the coming weeks. Just saying. However, he says, come and keep coming. Keep asking. How many times do you see all throughout Scripture, God responds to the prayers of his people? All the time. Keep praying. You see, here's the reason. Both Eustace and Matthias, they had the same credentials, didn't they? How do you discern God's will? We've got two choices here. They had the same credentials. They looked great on the surface. They had all the same external qualities, didn't they? They had all the same skills. Eustace Matthias. But notice, oh, I love this. The disciples knew that man can look on the outside at all the credentials. You've got all the experience. You've got all the track record. Watch this. But only God knows the heart. You see what they did right there? Verse 24, circle it. You know the hearts. Here's what they're saying. We can't see what you see. We need you. We don't want to trust our own judgment on this. We need, so they pray. Declaration of dependence. See, the heart there, you know the hearts of people, it means the inner character of the person. On the outside, both of these guys look like they had a great character. Maybe they, maybe they had wonderful character. We just know that Matthias gets chosen and not... Oh, I just spoiled the end of the verse. Anyway, we're getting there. You know, we just know that one gets chosen over the other. But the heart there means the inner character, the convictions. What are their real convictions? Everyone can talk a good game. What are the real convictions that they're holding to? What are the loves that they have? What are the inner workings of the heart? We can't see that. We don't know the heart. You don't know the heart. I don't know the heart. God knows the heart. See, it's clear from verse 24. Did you see the language? And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these you have chosen. See what that means? God already knew who he was going to choose. God saw the heart. He saw whose character wasn't going to be able to make it and whose was. You have chosen. See, God already knew. He had chosen who would take Judas's place. And the disciples knew this, what we must today. God is 100% good. He is 100% loving and 100% faithful and would only do what was for his greatest glory and their greatest good. So what did they do? They prayed, which means they submitted the need to his will and went to him. Question, are you praying for God's work in God's way for his glory in and through you? God's work, God's way for his glory in that situation. You see what I can't, God. You know that if I keep journeying on this, what's gonna happen next? I don't see the whole picture. You know, there's this expression that I use Regularly, I heard once from a pastor, it says, it's hard to see the full picture from the inside of the frame, isn't it? Right? God sees what you and I can't. And we need to go to him fervently and desperately. Whose agenda is dominating your prayers in the waiting? Is it God? We like Eustace better. Let's choose him. God, we like Matthias better. Let's choose. No, either one, Lord. Where do you need to submit to him saying, your kingdom come, mine go? Lastly is this. If we're going to trust God in the waiting, it means we trust his sovereignty. We go to his word. We obey his word. We pray for his work. And here's the last one. Right here we see verse 26. We trust in his work. We walk by faith. 
and not by sight. We trust in his work. Look at 26. And they cast lots for them. We'll get to that in a sec. Don't worry. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. We don't know why God chose Matthias over Eustace. But God saw what they couldn't. And he still is today. See, after going to God's word, obeying it in his power, praying for his work, trusting in his sovereignty and the outcome, the disciples, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. Now, let's get some clarity. You're like, all right, should I just go cast some lots when I get home? You know, lay out a fleece. Okay, hold the phone. Time out. Let's get some clarity. Do we have that picture of lots up there? The lot bag? Put it up, please, if we have it. Lots was a practice used to determine God's will in ancient times. So I want you to picture a bag of rocks. And all of them are one color except for one rock in the bag. Okay? One rock in the bag. And so lots was a practice used to determine God's will. And we're not 100% sure what this practice was like, but it had a bag of multiple colored stones or sticks that they would cast or throw from the bag. And whoever the different colored stone or stick landed by, that would be the person that God had chosen or the decision God wanted them to make. Now, here's a little thing. This is the last um, recorded use of lots in the Bible. Right here. Why? Because in the very next verse, next two verses, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit is our, remember, good, good pneumatology tells us this, study the Holy Spirit. He's our counselor. You don't need lots anymore. We have the Word of God, and we have the counsel of God through His Word and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And we have His church. In the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so once the disciples had done what they knew God wanted them to do, they trusted God to do what only He could do. And that he would make clear at exactly the moment they needed it and still today. Question, where do you need to trust God's work in your waiting? Where do you need to trust God's work in your waiting? Loved one, John Piper said it this. Final quote before we go to communion. It is this. In your waiting, God is working. Trust in his work. In your waiting, God is working. Go to the word. Obey the word. Pray for his work. Trust in his work. Whether he has you take that next step right then, like the disciples here, or whether he has you wait to take it. Trust in his work. God is sovereign, good, loving, and can't be stopped. Will you trust him in your waiting? Right there. Seeking his face as your priority and trusting in his sovereignty. And it's only fitting that we finish off this message right here by coming to the communion table. Communion 